0: If you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. If you don't have your Bibles, and it's on your cell phone, open up your cell phone. And if you don't have either of those, we actually have a paper copy in the back on the sermon notes. So, but go ahead and whatever version or whatever... Where well, you can read it, open up Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and go ahead and read that uh, at your tables. And, but I also want you to take a few minutes as you read through that, and if you're sitting by yourself, go ahead and join another table. But uh, for what, what is the main point? What do these verses tell us about God? And what lesson can I learn for myself today? So read those verses with those three questions. What is the main point? What does it tell us about God? And what can I learn in regards for myself today? So just take a few minutes and go ahead and share that. It would be a great opportunity for families to discuss that also. What is the main point? What does it tell us about God? And what lesson can you learn for yourself? It is absolutely astounding when I ask you to talk. <laughs> <laughs> But otherwise, not so much. What's the main point? What does it tell us about God? What lesson can I learn from it for myself? If you're faithful to God, he will be faithful to you. Okay. Don't sit on your gift. Don't sit on your gift. God is generous. God is generous. Pardon? Don't walk in fear. Pardon? Oh, that was just. Okay. Go out and spread the gospel. Go out and spread the gospel. Webster defined potential as something that has the promise to develop and become real, something that has to be able to develop. Um, one of my first cars was a 1956 Ford. Uh, I was like 17, and I got a or 18. I got a 1966 Ford uh, with a 300, 350 uh, police interceptor engine. I really don't know what that means. It's just that they told me it was fast, um, and I and I bought it for 150 dollars. Okay. Now, when you buy a car for 150 dollars, now remember it was like 12 years old and bought it for $150. You don't get a five-year, 50,000-mile warranty on it. And as I was driving it home, I sort of said, well, this is a fast car, so I got on it. And as soon as I got on it, I blew a U-joint. Now, Brian, how, how much does it cost to replace a U-joint? Yeah, Back then, I think it was like 15. <laughs> you know. But I, I, in my mind, blown, this car is worthless. You know, and, and what I realized is that when they put in the new engine and did everything else, they didn't align it right, so every time I stepped on the gas, like fast, it busted the U-joint. So the car had great potential, but it, it was worthless. <laughs> you know, <Good> to, you. <laughs> to me, yeah, to me. Um, now, I, I recall the story that I sold it for like $25. Al Albert, who was here last week, said, no, that's not what happened at all. There was a carnival in town. You took it to the carnival, and you charged 50 cents a person to hit it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> and that, that, that made more sense to me, but, you know. Um, and I thought about all of that, and I think that there's hundreds of people that go to church Every, every week. Hundreds of people. And they call themselves Christians, but at the same time, they're like my car. It's like they're there, have great potential, but they're stuck in neutral. They're just stuck in neutral. Uh, they're nice people. They claim to love the Lord. They have real potential to be used by God to influence His kingdom, but they're not moving at all. They're not productive. Um, And as we look at this parable, we need to realize that the key is not so much to identify what we have, but how are we using what we have been given. And there's a tendency for people to just think of this as financial. This isn't a, a, a parable about finances. It's a parable about every single thing that God has given you. Okay, whatever gift it is, whether it be the gift of mercy, be the gift of teaching, whether it be the gift of worship, whether it be the gift of prayer, whether it be give whatever the gift is, it's how are you using it. So even as I am going through this parable today, think about the different things that God has given you. Whatever, whether it be, whether it be finances or whether it be time, whether it be prayer whether it be the gift of teaching, whether it be the gift of evangelism, whatever it is, start just think about it and say, how am I using this? How am I using this for God? This is my potential that God has given me, and how am I using it? In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So Jesus is given an answer to the disciples' question about his second coming in Matthew 24:3. When will all this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And then we started off last week in Matthew 25:1 through 13 about the parable of the bridegroom and the bridesmaids. And at the end it says, "Make sure you're prepared." Make sure you're prepared. And now he moves into a different section and says, this parable sort of goes from, not only do I want you to be prepared, but in the meantime, I have given you some tools. I've given you some gifts. I've given you a list of blessings that you have, and how are you using them? How are you using them? So as he moves into this next parable, he gives us some. But also in this parable, there are three little words that have the power to determine success or failure in almost every aspect of our life. So there's just three words. You follow those three words, and you'll find success in almost every area of your life. So, what I'm. Uh, see if you can figure out. Is that me again, Jeff? Yeah. Um, going. Uh, see if you can just sort of figure out what those three words are. But before we get there, let's take a look at the parable. First lesson we see is that what we have is not ours. Verse 14 says that a man who was getting ready for a journey called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Jesus was going to go on a journey. He was leaving us, and he left us with gifts, and he entrusted us with everything and said, okay, this is my earth, these are my people, and you are the ones that are going to have to make a difference. You're the ones that are going to have to inform them. You're the ones that I have entrusted with the stewardship of this plan of mine to go forth and make disciples. And so he called his servants and entrusted his property to them. And it was very common for the wealthy of that time to go on these trips, whether it be trading, whatever it may be, and they'd have these trusted servants that they would turn over their property to. And it's not only turning over their property to, it's like you turning over your property to an investment counselor, and that investment counselor is there to manage your money, but not only to manage your money, but to increase your money, to be good stewardships of whatever you gave. And so he's doing that, this man is doing that with his servants. Um, And so it was their job to manage what what they were given. Well, it's the same with us. God has said, I've given you these things. It is your job to manage them. Uh, And we're expected to bring a return on the things that God has given us. And we need to remember that everything, everything we have, has been given to us and is not really ours. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I think that was one of the first verses that we learned in Crown. Um, it took many years, many years. We were, we were out, um, and I don't even know who we were talking to. I know that Craig and Anna were a part of that. They were talking about debt and how I lived with that for the vast majority of my life, and that I was not a good steward of the things that God had, had given me. It took me a long time to truly finally let this grasp, this pr- concept or this principle that everything is God's, and I'm just a steward of it, for that principle to finally get into my head. Um, but until we recognize that truth, Until we recognize the truth that everything is the Lord's, we will never be good managers of it. We'll never be good managers until we recognize that this isn't mine, it's God's. Um, Our days are in his hands. Our gifts and abilities are on loan from him. Money is just an advance from God. Our houses, our cars, our clothes, every possession, our children, we have doesn't belong to us We really don't own anything. It all is God's. And so you take a look at your children and you recognize these are God's children and he has entrusted me with these children to be wise managers, to be good stewards of. That the people that are in our life, our friends, we are to be wise stewards of all of them. And it says we're given what we can handle. In verse 15, for verse 15, we see that the master gave some talents to three of his servants. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And again, a talent is different um, from what our understanding, but he had in the same respect the same. Talent we could call as a gift, but back then it was a large sum of money and commentators have given different opinions of what it looked like, but basically most of them figured that it was about a person's working their annual income for 20 years. So the average person, whatever their annual income was, a talent was about 20 years of that. So this is a pretty decent amount of money uh, that he's entrusting them with. And so one he gives five, the other one he gives two, and the last one he gives one. And God just entrusts different stuff to different people according to his purposes. In other words, he knows what we can handle, and he has a purpose for what he gives. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says to each one just as he determines. Not as we determine, but just as he determines. And again, some of the problems we have is that we don't focus on what we have. Instead, we look at what others have and we say, I wish I had that. I don't like this gift of serving that I have. I want the gift of music that they have. Or I want the gift of money that they have. Or I want the gift of faith that they have. And we never focus on what God has given us Instead, we look at what other people have and say, I'm not as good as. And that our job is to be faithful with whatever God has given us. And do we trust God to know more about us than we know about ourselves? Because if we're trusting God that he knows more about us than we know about ourselves, then we can release all of those comparison issues and say, well, this is what God has given me. Again, God gives us opportunities according to our abilities. And it's not our job to worry about what we don't have. It's our job to make the most of what we do have. So when it comes to how we spend our lives, we need to take an inventory of all that we have been given and ask yourself, am I investing it or am I burying it? So if you have the gift of serving, are you investing it or are you bearing it? If you have the gift of prayer, are you investing it or are you bearing it? If you have the gift of compassion, the gift of mercy, whatever it is, are you using it or are you bearing it? Um, And that's what, if you have the, whatever it is, how are we using it? Um, So we must invest what we've been given. Verse 16 tells us that the man who received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. The guy who got two talents did the same thing, also doubling his master's money, ending up with four talents. Verse 18 describes the different approach of the third servant. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, even though we don't read about any specific instructions that the master gave to each one of the servants that he gave money to, the first two went out and multiplied what they had received. See, our potential is God's gift to us. I forget who, it's, who said it. It might have been A.W. Tozer. You are the only person on earth who can use your ability. You are the only person on earth who can use your ability. And if you believe that God loves you and gifts you, he's given you abilities. And if you're not using those abilities, that you're bearing your talent. You're bearing whatever God has told you to be a steward of. So are you investing in what, God, what you have been given, regardless of what it is? Or have you buried your blessing and kept it hidden from others? See, we are accountable for what God has given us. In verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts with them. That has sort of like, okay, It's time now. Let me see what you've done. Uh, And Jesus is coming again. And there will be a day of reckoning. While most of us believe that in our heads, we don't always live with that certainty in our hearts. So yeah, Jesus is coming again, but I don't have to worry about that today. And since I don't have to worry about that today, I really don't have to use my gift today because I'll wait to use it when I'm pretty sure that God's coming back sooner. And so we postpone using what we believe. So we acknowledge it in our head, but it hasn't translated into our hearts. Uh, If we would think more about his return, we'd be more focused on making eternal return on investments. If God has given this to me, my responsibility is to make that an eternal reward for someone else. And we like rewards, but usually the rewards are for us instead of focusing on eternity. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I've used my gifts, I've served my generation, I've used the things that God has given me to bring him glory for my generation and his time. What we do with what we have reveals our view of God. Bottom line, that's that's just what we do and what with what we have reveals our view of God. In verses 25, we see that the man who had been given five talents brought five more with him. The language is insightful there he was excited to see the master. He was excited. Look at what I've done. You gave me five, I made it ten. And the one who gave him two did the exact same thing. Look at what I've done. They were excited for that day of reckoning. They were looking forward to be able to say, look at master, you entrusted me with something and I gave it back to you. And I multiplied it. I start thinking about that in my own life. I just wonder if I'm going to have that same level of excitement to recognize when God returns that all the things that he gave me, I can say, wow, glad you're back. Look at what I did with the gifts that you gave me. Look at how I use that to be a blessing to others. Look at how I use that to be a witness, to be an evangelist, to go forth and make disciples, to serve your people, to be used by you to be a light into the community. The man with the two shows the same anticipation. And then Jesus says the exact same thing to both of them. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, and share your master's happiness. You want to be happy? It's right there. The way to be happy is just to serve the master and to use the things that he has given you to his fulfillment. The one talent guy came a bit more reluctantly and said in verse 24, I, I know that you were a hard man. Now, Notice the first words out of his mouth. They were about himself. I knew you were a hard man. The other two, master, they focused immediately on the master. Master, you entrusted me. One focuses on self, one focuses on the master. Um, and so the third guy just had a wrong view of the master. And he had his mind made up before he even received his talent. He looked at the master as someone who was harsh and hard instead of loving and gracious. Instead of loving and generous, he said, no, you're limited, you're harsh, you're judging. If I don't do it all perfectly, I'm going to be in trouble. So I just won't do anything. And again, Tozer said, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. So last week we talked about what is that one thing? The most important thing in your life is how you view God. Because how you view God will define everything else you do. If you believe that God is gracious and loving and caring and generous and compassionate and understanding, you will go to God with every problem you have. If you believe that God is harsh and hard and judgmental, you will keep secrets from God. Even though you know you can't keep secrets from God, that's how you will act. So it's how you view God is the most important thing about us. A fault of view of God can lead to excuses. In verse 25, this man declares that the reason he didn't do anything with what he had been given us was because he was afraid. Well, God, I know you gave me this, but I was afraid. And so I didn't do anything. Faulty view of God. His fear paralyzed him, and so he decided to play it safe. He hid the money to make sure it wouldn't be lost. And he accomplished exactly what he set out to achieve. Nothing. He accomplished Nothing. And the excuse he offers reveals his disobedience. And it's a classic shift of blame. When a person is confronted with what they have not accomplished, we usually react instead of respond, and it's always someone else's fault. I would have done it, but... And as soon as you hear somebody say, but, you have now entered into the world of the infamous but people. You know? They understand truth. But the reason they don't do it is because of somebody else. So yes, God, I understand. Yes, I gave you the talents. I know you gave me all this. I know you did all that. I know that you love me. I know that you're full of grace. I know all this. But I was afraid. I was afraid. And so what defines their behavior? The words before, but, or the words after, but? I believe, but I was afraid. So, even in our own selves, when we're sitting there talking, I know that God's going to do this, I know that God's going to do this, I know that God's going to do that, and then we add that word to it. So, do I, are we having time to explain to our children? what I just said. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'll now give your parents something to talk about on the way home. Um, so a wrong view of God also leads to fear. So I was afraid and went out and hid, your, hid my, your tail on the ground. A right view of God always leads to faith. So again, look at the difference between the two servants who served and the one who took a dive. The first two were determined to make a profit. The third was determined to not take a loss. The first two were willing to take risks. The third took no risks. The first two received the gift. The third refused the gift. The first two wanted to advance the master's domain. The third had no interest in what mattered to the master. The first two viewed the money as an opportunity. The third one saw it as a problem. The first two allowed the master's gift to change their lives. The the third refused to let the gift touch his life. The first two invested, the other one wasted. The first two saw a blessing, the other one saw a burden. The first two knew the master, the third one had no clue who the master really was. See, the only failure that is complete is when we fail to respond to God's love. He is able to replace the fear of failure with faith in him. I've known people... And if you read my um, snapshot this week, I was one of them that wouldn't play sports because they can't be on the starting team. So I just don't play. It's not about learning. It's not about developing. It's not about being a part. If I'm not the starter, I don't play. So if they don't think they're going to be the best player, then they're not going to play at all. I know people who won't attempt to get sober because they don't think they can maintain sobriety. So instead of even trying, it's never gonna work, so I just won't do it. I've known people who won't work on their marriage because they don't believe that the love will ever come back, or they could understand, or that they could grow in that relationship. I've known people who have quit all kinds of things because they don't believe God can make a difference. And most tragically, I've known people who won't accept Christ because they don't think they can live the Christian life. And rather than fail, they would rather not surrender at all. And that's exactly what the servant who received the talent thought. He thought, what if I take this money and lose it all? It's safer to do nothing. Now imagine if that servant had just done something different. If he had said, you know what, I really don't know how to invest, I'm just going to take it to the bank, and I'm going to put it in the bank, and afterwards, he's, the master came and said, Ma- Master, you gave me this, I put it in the bank, I made you know, interest on it, and so you gave me one talent, and you know, I made 20% on it. The master would have said, well done, good and faithful servant. The reason he said he wasn't is because he didn't do anything. Anything. With the gift that God had given him. Verse 26 reveals that the master saw right through the flimsy excuses of the servant when he said, you wicked and lazy servant. See, the worst kind of failure is when we don't do anything. Because when we don't do anything, We have closed the door on God continuing to change us. We've closed the door on God continuing to transform us. We've said, that's it. I'm not doing anything. I'm done. Um, And amazingly, instead of owning his guilt, he behaves as if the master should have given him credit for for having been so cautious. And again, I'm convinced that laziness is extremely dangerous in every area of our lives. When we think we can put something off until later, we will eventually discover they'll one day be too late. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Because this third guy did not use what he had been given. He lost it. He just lost it. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. It's the use it or lose it principle. And it works the same way in your life. Whatever God has given you to use, use it or just lose it. And the more you use it, it will increase in your life. The less you use it, the less you'll have. The more you just share your faith with another person, the easier it is to share your faith with another person. But people won't share their faith out of fear of rejection. And so that fear prevents them from continuing to grow in their own faith. Um, Look at the things you want to increase in your life. And invest in them. Do you really want a great marriage? Invest in your marriage. Use it or lose it. Take the time. Do you want to have a great relationship with your children? Then invest your time in your family. Use it or lose it. Do you want to have a dynamic relationship with God and a useful ministry in His kingdom? Invest your life in it. Use it or lose it. If you want to have great friends, invest in your friends. Use it or lose it. Um, And In verse 29, we learn that those who are faithful with the little things will have an abundance. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. On the other hand, those who bury their blessings will face agony. They will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who don't know God don't serve him. Remember those servants When Jesus was coming back, they were excited. The reason they were excited is because they loved their master. They knew their master, and they wanted to show the master that everything that you have given me, I have been a faithful steward of, and I want to please you because I love you. One looked because they had love, the other one had fear. Fear. Now, I want to close this message by taking about a 180-degree turn on this and look at three little words. Three little, I said right in the beginning, three words that will make a big difference in your life. You may already know the principles that I've talked about, but these are the three words. Um, and these are not words that I know well. My wife will tell you that. The people I work with will tell you that. The man who had received five talents went at once. Went at once. And put his money to work and gained five more. When will ask me to do something? And I'll go, sure. She goes, well, why don't you do it now? I don't know. It'll still be there tomorrow. And, I mean, this is... is, this is an area of my life where I am so guilty. Something has to be done, and instead of just doing it right then when it needs to be done, it doesn't, I just put it off. And I see how, I've seen how that has impacted my life in so many negative ways. If there was one thing that I probably would have changed in my life, is that would have been that it. If I knew I had to do something, do it then do it now. Don't put it off. Don't wait. I was with a group of pastors and we were talking about some of these same types of things. Um, They were confessing their laziness and I was just going to gossip about it. Um, But one of them said when they first moved to Aurora, one of the first men they met was Paul House. And they went to his office and he looked at paul's desk and there was nothing on it there were no papers on it there was nothing on it and he said how can you be the superintendent of the school and not have tons of papers all over the place and paul just said one thing was whenever i have something to do i do it now so if there's a piece of paper that says call so-and-so, I call so-and-so and I throw the piece of paper away. I do it now. And I thought, he's my hero. <laughs> because because I, I haven't done that. And I just know for me, if God's telling me to do something, do it now. Don't wait. Um, See, they were all given a job, and they went at once. They got started immediately. He was given a job to do, and he didn't procrastinate. He went at once. Whatever it is that you need to accomplish in your life, there is something you can do today to get started. If you need to take charge of your health, you can start today. If you need to make some changes in your professional life, you can start reworking your resume today. If you need to make some changes in your personal life, you can do it today. If you need to reconcile with someone in your life, you can make that first phone call today, or you can write that first letter today. If you need to get out of debt, you can put $5 to the side today. It's $5 more than was there yesterday. Um, there are some of you who need to get things straightened out with God. If you've never made that personal commitment to Jesus Christ, you can do that today. The greatest success is when we recognize something and we do it now, went at once. The servant who was given five talents was called good and faithful because he went at once. I'm challenging you to do the same thing. You know what you need to do. Just do it today. Don't hold off on God. Don't hold off on the things that he's told you to do. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have together. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. And that we serve you and your limitless In your gifts, your talents, your blessings, your grace. And help us to recognize the blessings you've given us. In order that we can share those blessings with others. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said...